have your Bibles, grab those. We're going to be in the book of James, uh, chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 16 this morning, uh, kind of get you caught up where we're at. We are uh, really third week into our fall series as we just walk through the book of James. We're just going to uh, go verse by verse and let God's Word just work us over and shape us and mold us all the more into the image of the glorious Son. And so um, that's where we'll be here in just a few minutes. Uh, I just want to brag for a second. Uh, real quick, just on uh, last Sunday evening, we had a back-to-school bash uh, for our children, and man, did we have a ton of kids here. Uh, it was just phenomenal. Uh, we kind of merged the two together with our children's ministry here, trying to reach the community, and then even with our after-school ministry. Um, I mean, there was tons of faces uh, on campus here uh, of kids running and playing and screaming and throwing baseballs at the preacher in the dunk tank. Um, and I figured out a way we can pay off the church next month, so just, I will be rolling that out to you. It's a, called a dunk tank in the parking lot. I mean, and you put the preacher in it, and it's like everybody wants to throw balls at the preacher. So um, I'm going to take that as love, though. But no, I just, I want to, like I said, brag for just a second on those who helped out and was a part of that. Thank you so, so much. Um, and just an amazing uh, event there with our children and um, the leaders that it took to put that on and to, to make that happen. Just, just man, I'm, I'm honored to serve alongside a, a team that... Uh, invests in uh, the next generation. Um, and just uh, I thank you so much for that. Just, just a great night, uh, an opportunity to meet new people and um, invite them and share with them all the more the love of Jesus. And so um, just, just a great opportunity there that I just wanted to point out to us. And so uh, this week we're going to continue in James uh, 1. Uh, last week we just looked at depth into this reality of trials and tribulation. Uh, what we know is that the believers in this day have been dispersed because of persecution. Uh, and as a result of that persecution, um, they're facing a lot of trials, a lot of tribulation, a lot of difficulties, those type of things that are, that are coming upon them. And so uh, James tries to encourage them and he says, count that all a joy. Uh, and, and so we talked in depth about this reality of what joy is compared to happiness, um, how as a believer we should have seated joy the reality of who Christ is and what he's done for us and accomplished for us on the finished work of the cross. And, and that's where our joy is found. And, and so we talked about that. And if, and if our heart is settled on that reality, we can say even in the midst of trials and tribulations that there is joy in us regardless of outcomes of situations and so we just dove through that and walked through that a little bit and then what we did is James warns the the believers at this day as that happens is there's trials and tribulations that you've got to be careful because uh, two things are going to come after you uh, the first one is going to be doubt that, that you're going to be uh, a double-minded man uh, or double-minded woman who doubts and doesn't approach and go after Jesus even in the difficulties uh, and then there's, there's going to be this tendency to try to compare to look at other situations, other circumstances where they're at in life. And as a result of that, uh, we're going to compare and we're going to try to uh, figure out why are you for them? Why are you doing for them? And in that, we'll take our eyes off of Christ and not be where he wants us to be and that we had to be careful not to compare. And so all of that uh, was last week. If you missed that, um, you can catch up. You can watch that again on our Facebook, or our app, uh, any of those places. Um, and so I'm just going to ask you if you join me as we pray before we jump into to verse 16. Um, and just, just, just join me as we pray. Father, again, we just, we just want to approach the throne with boldness. And God, I just want to ask that you would do a work in this place. And Father, the work that I'm praying that you accomplish would start with a man standing on the stage. And Father, that it would work its way down and through. God, even to the ones that will watch today, this morning, as we watch. God, even those that will watch this coming week. Father, that you would do a work in us 
that, that we talked about last week, that, that we would mature and grow. And Father, as, as I've read and studied and looked at this week, God, I know there's a great tension that we're going to have to address this morning in this room. A, a great tension that will be brought before us. And so Father, even in that, I pray God that your Holy Spirit would work and do and accomplish what you need to in this place. And God, that you, you would affirm all the more the heart that belongs to you. And, and Father, that you would draw all the more the heart that doesn't and make that heart aware of their great need for you. Father's going to be in our face this morning. And I want to thank you for that because I believe it's for our good and for your glory. You're going to help us. We need you. And you're going to point out some areas in our life where we need to press in all the more. So Father, I just pray your Holy Spirit falls heavy in this place this morning and that you accomplish all that you need to all that you see fit. Shame we pray. Amen. Amen. So we're going to go back and, and just kind of catch verses 16 through 18 and then really jump into where we're going to be this morning. I think 16 and 18 will kind of help us uh, understand and get a greater uh, uh, perspective of what James is trying to do and accomplish and, and teach the believers that are dispersed in this day uh, and even for us today in 2021. James 1, 16 says this. He says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. And so this is going to be a phrase that we're going to see on repeat throughout the book of James. Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. Don't. So why would he tell them not to be deceived? Because it's so easy to be deceived. It's so easy to believe something that's not true. It's so easy to buy into something uh, or be swayed as it pertains to things that aren't true. And so he's going to press that on them. And especially in this day as he is pinning this letter to the believers that are dispersed uh, in the midst of their trials, it's going to be even easier to be tricked and be fooled. I mean, when difficulty comes at you, when, when struggles are happening, those type of things, it's, it's easy in that moment to doubt God. It's easy in that moment to be, uh, uh, to be deceived and to believe something that's not true about his nature and character. And so James is, is going to remind them constantly throughout this letter don't be deceived. Don't buy into that. Don't think for a second and believe for a second something that isn't true about our God. He goes on and says this, and he just reminds them in verse 17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from where? Above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. So he's just reminding them here that, that every good gift comes from who? God. The Father of lights, it comes from our God. And church, this needs to be the anchor of our heart. This needs to be the place where our soul settles, where our soul lands, that we, we are reminded of this constantly, that God is good and that God is for us. No matter the difficulty, no matter the struggle, no matter what comes at us or after us, that our God is good. We need to be aware of how good God is. I, my fear is so often that we can see how bad and crazy things are going and in the midst of that, take our eyes off of how good God has been to us even in the midst of that. And, and we looked at some things last week that we called common grace. I, I mean, to wake up and see a sunrise. God's goodness and faithfulness. I mean, we see it all the time when it rains and there's a little bit of sun, right? A rainbow? What is that? Just a reminder of God's faithfulness and goodness. You arrived here in this place this morning, clothes on your back, AC in this room, padded chairs to sit in, lights to be able to read and follow along with. God's goodness allows that. We're quick to look for the negative. We're quick to look for the bad. But we need to be reminded 
and land and look for as often as we can the goodness of our God. And, and just be reminded that, 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 that all good things come from the Father. James reminds those in his day and in us today that, that we, need to, we need to anchor our soul to that. We need to land at that place. And so I believe it's just so important because everything in our life as a believer is going to hinge on that truth. It is going to hinge on that truth in this following in verse 18. It says, of his own will, whose will? God's own will. Of his own will, he brought us forth. How? By the word of truth. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by what? The word of God. Hence the reason why we're going to do the core here coming up in a few weeks. On Wednesday night when we gather in this place and we open up and we, sh- we look at what the gospel is, we, we learn how to properly share the gospel, we learn how to handle the word of truth. Oh, we're going to do that because, because the, it, he brought us forth by the word of truth. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so he's just reminding them that. And he goes on and says this, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. And so last week when we talked about this, and I think it's so important moving forward, looking at what he's going to challenge those, those people with in this day, and even us here today, is this, is that God chose you. I mean, God saved you. It was his idea. He rescues, he redeems, he comes for. He adopts you in as part of his family. This is God's idea. He does this. We were dead and he made us alive. He saves us. He rescues us. He redeems us. We need to remember this. That as born again believers, we are the first evidence. That's what he's talking about, first fruits. Who talks like that nowadays? That we are the first evidence. That the men and women in this day as believers, as, as the church, they are the first evidence, the picture of what's to come. The picture of God moving to redeem and restore and set things back to the way that they're supposed to be. And we have the privilege and honor of walking that out in our day as well. I mean, I mean the longing of our heart, the desire of our flesh is contrary to that, is it not? And he wants to remind us that only God can do this kind of a work. It was his idea. He brought us forth his own will. He accomplished this. And so James is reminding those believers in this day, as you're scattered, as you're being persecuted, you're the first fruit of salvation. You're being made new. And I believe that one of the reasons or many reasons why the church struggles along so greatly, while we limp along so greatly, while we live defeated lives is because we've forgotten this reality. That we have forgotten this reality. That we've forgotten what God has saved us from. Sin and hell. That we have forgotten how good and how great our God truly is. We've forgotten that we're the first fruits, that, that, that God has redeemed and rescued us and he has saved us. I believe another reason is because we've forgotten the call that he's put in our life. To be holy, to bring him glory, to make much of him, to make disciples, to live out what he's called us to live out and be. I think another reason why we have forgotten this is that we've looked past the weight of eternity. That, that we have forgotten eternity is Jesus, that we get him. See, I'm afraid that what has infiltrated the church and what has captured our heart and our affections and our desires is is that we have fallen far too much in love with the stuff of this world. And we don't long for what's next. And that's eternity with Jesus. See, that's what's so great about heaven. It's not that there's no more pain. It's not that there's no more suffering. It's not that, no, no, we get to be with the one 
who's given it all for us. We get to be with the one who's redeemed us and saved us and rescued us when there was nothing good about us and in us. That's what's so great about heaven. And my fear is that there's far too many people who want to take heaven without Jesus. And what you need to understand is that's not heaven at all. That's the opposite. If you would offer me heaven and the benefits of heaven without Jesus, we would be fools to take that. I don't want the stuff. I want him. I don't want the benefits. I want him. But is that not what the American gospel has proclaimed to us over and over and over? This easy believism. Do whatever you want to do. You deserve. Enjoy now. Live it up. Even as a believer, live your best life right now. As he has first fruits, we have the great privilege to do what? Put on display all that God is and all that he has done. That's what he's reminding the believers of this day. I mean, I am doing a work. I am making new. And we have the privilege and honor to live that out and to show that. We have the privilege to do that. And does it not always carry more weight and get the attention of, of those that are not his in the midst of the most difficult of times? In the most trialing times? Does it not capture the attention of people all the more? That's why I have beat this drum for the last year and a half. I mean, that we were, we were made for a time like this. That, that the church is set up for a time like this. Why? Because our joy is rooted in Christ and who he is and what he's done for us. Not the stuff we get. Not the blessings that we think that we're due. But Christ himself. That's why we can be joyful in the midst of a pandemic. That's why we can be joyful in the midst of the trials and the difficulties of, of 2021 and 2020. And who knows what 2022 is bringing. I, like, don't get giddy. You know what I'm saying? Like, those days are gone, are they not? Just get to 2022. You may not want to. But if we do, man, what I can tell you is this, is that we can have deep-seated joy. Regardless of what that brings for us. Regardless of what happens. And so what we're going to see is James is going to spend the rest of this letter just encouraging those who have been scattered to, to live in a way that's going to do what? That's going to declare that they are indeed the first fruits. That they are God's people. That, they, uh, that they've been redeemed. That there's this evidence of God's new creation and what's to come. And what James is going to do is he's going to dive into some specifics. So, so just, just hang on and walk with me through this and then we'll be encouraged at the very end because he's going to work us over and beat us up a little bit. And this is what he says in verse 19. He says, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And we're just going to see this kind of on repeat throughout the book of James. S slow to speak, slow, uh, slow to anger, quick to hear. In our world today, it's kind of the reverse, is it not? I mean, everybody's on edge. Nobody wants to hear or listen. Everybody's quick to speak and give their opinion. And, and everybody is just, I mean, just a second away from being angry. I mean, and I mean like crazy angry. Not just like I get a little frustrated in the moment, but I mean like, 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 like we just go bat nuts crazy. I mean, it doesn't take much to set us off anymore, does it? And so what we're seeing here as we kind of read, as we dive in, and, and what we can kind of draw from this is that the believers in this day, they, they've got this anger that's being manifested how through their language, through their speaking, and they're doing it in a way that doesn't honor God. The things that they're saying, the things that they're talking about, the way that they're talking to each other, the way that they're talking to people is in a way that, that, that doesn't bring glory and honor to God. And it's happening in their heart because their, their anger and that anger manifests itself. And he goes on in verse 20, he says this, he says, For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. 
so the anger of man, a, a deep internal resentment and rejection, that's what he's talking about here when he talks about the anger of man. And so I think we need to talk for a second because I believe that there is a holy anger and that there's an unholy anger. That there's a righteous anger and we see that lived out in Jesus. Remember when he flips some tables? He gets ticked. He gets mad. He's coming to his father's house and they've made a mockery of him. So what does he do? He starts flipping tables. And he does it for the glory and honor of God. You see him get angry with the religious of the day. Why? Because they have stripped, they have stripped the meaning of what it means to be a lover of God. And they have put these ridiculous expectations on other people that they're not even willing to live out themselves. And so you see this holy anger well up in Jesus as he is very direct and intentional with the religious of the day who say one thing with their lips and live something contrary with their life. So you see this holy anger that is not sinful, that is not wrong, but what it does is it, it propels in a direction of glory and honor for the Lord. It stirs the heart to action, but it's action of holiness, it's action of righteousness, it's action of a way that's going to point people, that's going to set things back to the way that it's supposed to be. It's a holy anger. But unholy anger, man's anger, it produces in the heart a reaction that glories in the difficulty, in the failure or the struggle of someone, and it hopes that that someone hurts and has to pay the price. That's the response of the heart. And what I've learned about this is this anger isn't always external, is it? This anger isn't always uh, uh, made manifest for everybody to see. So I know that there's times in my life, as, as your pastor in my heart, that I have hoped and I have celebrated for bad things that happen to certain people. Get them, God. Finally, finally. See, what that is, is anger welling up in a way that doesn't bring honor and glory to God. See, what that anger should do for the one that has wronged, for the one that has cut, for the one that has acted out in, the one that, it, it, should, it should bring about a sort, a sort of holy anger whereby I pray for, Wherefore, I beg of God to pray for, and when I say, and we can do like those little, little prayer things, like, yeah, I'll, I'll pray for him. God, sick him. God, get him. God, flat tires today for them. All four. Not, not just one, four. Because you can't, you can't put the spare on there and get to where you need to go. But do it in a way that's nice and sweet and loving. Maybe they can get it patched at the end of the day. I mean, no, I'm, I'm talking about praying for them in a way that you'd pray for yourself. God, break their heart over their sin. God bless them in a way that would, would show them how good and loving you are, even in the midst of. And, and through that, your loving kindness would draw them. Feelings toward and a desire for God to work and redeem and draw back. That's what it should be like. And see, holy anger should produce in the heart an action that responds and moves towards someone with the hopes of seeing redemption and restoration take place. That's what needs, that's a holy anger that needs to happen. That's what we see in Jesus. A holy anger longs for the one that's, that's in the wrong to be restored. For, for God to break their heart, for God to make them whole again, for God to, to show them. And but we live in a day and a time where there is more anger than ever before, is there not? We live in a day and time where we don't give the benefit of the doubt any longer. 
We live in a day and time where we are just a moment away from losing it. Are we not? Where we teeter on the edge constantly. Fast food is never fast enough. The line always moves too slow. I paid for this, but I didn't get all that I paid for. I mean, that list could go on and on. Like, like, like the other day, I'm like, I'm driving home and there's some idiot that's actually going 35 into 35. I mean, who does that? I mean, I know the law says that the speed limit is 35 and the maximum speed traveled should be 35. Not when I'm behind you. I mean, you, everybody knows the police will give you five miles an hour over. Everybody knows that. You don't want to be that police officer. Who's put, oh, they're going 30, they're going 36 and a 35. They're going to write you a ticket for that. Everybody knows that. And so I'm following this joker behind, I'm like, good God, like I'm, I am, I am to the, I'm, I want to so bad. And like, I'm like, like NASCAR now, like I'm swerving to kind of keep my tires warm, you know? I don't even really know what that does, but I've just seen it on TV. It's like, I'm doing that thing, just hoping they'll kind of get the picture, just like, move over, get over. And I just look at him like, what is wrong with me? What, what is happening in my heart? Why in the world? It's 35, and it's 35 for a reason. And I don't know about you, but I've just felt in my life and in my heart that, that I'm at a place right now, and I, and I don't know why, uh, but, but I just feel more antsy and irritable than ever before. And I'm just, I mean, I'm like, and I'm not like highly confrontational. But like there's part of me now that I'm just kind of like looking for a fight. So if you meet me in the parking lot after the service, I would love to tango a little bit if you want to. We can dance. But it's just, I'm like, what, what is the deal, man? Like what, what is happening? And you know what I love about the Word of God? Is that, is that whenever it points out to you some of those areas, then he, he's going to let you know why you feel that way. He's going to let you know why that that's, that's happening. And look, that's exactly what he does in verse 20 where he says this. He says, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. It's the word. Why? Why are we more answered than ever? Why are we more on the edge than ever? Why am I? Because we need to listen to, we need to look to, we need to submit to, we need to orient our heart and our life around the Word, around Jesus. And so what I've noticed in my life is this, is that I get real, real antsy and unsettled and easily angered when I am not abiding in Christ and abiding in His Word like I should. Why? Because I let too much other things dictate I let too much other things draw me toward. I let too many other things creep in that shouldn't creep in. And my mind's not fixated on things from above. I'm not taking my thoughts captive. Why? Because I have nothing to uh, combat it with. I have nothing to fight it with. And so what I've noticed in my life is I get much more antsy. I get much more ready to, to fight or ready to stand up or this feeling when I'm not praying, when I'm not pursuing when I'm not spending time in the Word, like I, I mean, for goodness sakes, I'm going home to do nothing. And they're going 35, and I am ready to bite their head off and like put them in the wall and keep going. And I live six minutes from here, going 35 miles an hour, six minutes. Going 50 miles an hour, I'll get there in four. What am I going to do with those two minutes? Nothing. But just in the midst of that, just feels that. 
just feels that. And, and, and what the Holy Spirit did in my life was like, Scott, maybe you're doing a little too much of this and not enough of this. Maybe, maybe you're doing too much of this and not enough of this. Maybe you're looking at and focusing on the wrong things. Because what I've learned in my life, the more time I spend with him, the more time I act like him. I respond like he would respond. Why shouldn't be getting mad at the woman or man in front of me that's going 35 and a 35? I mean, road rage, where does that come from? And so James, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is going to call true believers to a greater standard of holiness. That's what he's doing. He's inviting them in. He's making them aware of. And I believe the next verses here in James is going to show us his deep burden for the church. He's going to show us real quick his deep burden for the church. And this is where there's going to be some tension. This is where it's going to fly in the face of the church today. And I believe it's one of those burdens that keeps me up as well. And it should be one of those things that burdens us greatly. Verse 22, he says this, but be doers of the word and not hearers only. He says what? There's that phrase again, deceiving yourselves. There it is. He warns them. Don't don't be deceived. Don't be tricked. Don't be be swayed. Don't, Don't deceive yourselves. How? By just hearing the word and not doing the word. And is this not a depiction of the church today? In America especially? I mean, how many hear the word, but they don't do what the word says? How many will hear the word? How many will, will gather or has gathered for years and years and years and have heard the word over and over and over, what only to leave and have no real bearing and desire on their heart to the point where actions are lived out? And what happens when we come across somebody who does? They're just a little too much for us, aren't they? They're just, they're just a little, they need to tone it down a little bit with all the Jesus stuff. They need to back it up a little bit. You can't have that kind of a conversation. You can't tell somebody that. You can't, well, why not? On the authority of God's word, I can. And it's not me saying, I'm just, I'm just echoing and repeating what Jesus has already said. Why can't I not? But in our day, in our world, that's not the case, is it? See, James says the one who hears the word, but their life is constantly in opposition and characteristically against doing what they hear, they've been deceived and are probably not born again. See, see, that's where the tension lies in this. To gather week in and week out and to hear and have no effect on the heart whereby the desires and the actions of our life are changed. And I mean, this isn't about behavior modification. This isn't about just try harder. This isn't about that, those type of things. Well, well, dang it, I just need to do more. No, this is about an eternal love and desire and longing for that's not present this is coming in and hearing the word of God proclaimed, hearing the word of God uh, put out there, hearing uh, the commands, hearing the encouragement, hearing, hearing all of those things, and the level of, of conviction is just not there, whereby your actions and your hearts are changed. It's hearing it, but not doing it. And James, who's James addressing? He's, addre- he's addressing those who's been dispersed, right? The, the, the tribes. Those who would be looked at as believers. 
But it's almost as you read this letter, as you look at this letter, it's like there's this part in James, it's like, maybe they're not. Maybe they came to a service and heard a good sermon and they came down and they cried some tears and they snotted an altar and they walked back unchanged and it's just an, an emotional, uh, emotional event in their life for a moment. As you read this and as you look at this, it's almost like that's the thought. That's, what, that's what's kind of got James like tore up a little bit. I mean, because he's not far into his letter and he just, he just goes right at the heart of the issue, does he not? He doesn't, he's not like, like well, say hey to the kids, tell grandma said what's up, Jerusalem. I mean, we're hanging out over here. It's kind of rough, but man, they're feeding me. I mean, there's none of that. It's just like, he, he, hey, this is James, the half brother, da, 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 and then he's like, boom, goes for it. Count it joy, and now, now he just goes right for the heart of the issue. To come and sit and hear the word of God and not do it blows my mind. But I, but I, can't, I can't tell you how, how long I've been in the church and I've seen that over and over and over and over again. I'm there, let's, let's just go, right? Let's dance. James is doing it, so I'll just jump in with him. And I know I bang on this drum all the time. But to have to beg people to do stuff. To serve and give your life away. For a cause that's greater than you. I mean, you're hearing the word, but are you doing it? And the thing that blows my mind is the amount of conversations that I've had in my life. I'm just not called to. Well, what the heck are you called to? Because you're not doing nothing. And I'm not trying to say that doing always equates that you are. I mean, I know very well, and he'll address that too, that there's some that, that do, 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 but they don't belong either. I mean, I mean you hear it in Jesus' talk. On that day, I'll say to, you, say to many of you on that day, depart from me, I never knew you, but, but, but Jesus, didn't I do this? Didn't I heal the sick? Didn't I cast out demons? Didn't I, they did a lot. But the wrong heart and wrong motive and not a heart that's alive for Christ. So, so, so James, he goes there. D- don't just be a doer of the word. I mean, be a doer of the word. Yeah, just be, be a doer of the word. You want to do that. Not a hearer only, because when you do that, what you do is you deceive, you deceive yourself. When, when you come in week in and week out, and you hear the word of God proclaimed, and you leave and do nothing with it, and you begin to think that you're something that you're not, that's what James is talking about. Like, I've had the opportunity over the last, like, month, month and a half, couple months to man, have some really cool conversations and really see God do some, some cool works in some people. Like, like, like a, couple, a couple months ago, we're at, we're at men's group, and, and, and after men's group, I'm, I'm looking to talk to somebody, and I can't find them, and I'm just kind of hanging out there for a few minutes. And, um, and then um, after the men's breakfast and stuff like that, the devotion, that person's just gone. I'm like, well, I was going to say something, and hey, and check on them. And then all of a sudden, they, they show back up again. Well, the word this morning that was brought to the men was about prayer. And so this guy, after, as soon as it's finished, he leaves. And you know where he goes? He comes to the altar in here. And he just begins to pray. He's like, God, I'm sorry. And we need to be people of prayer. I need to be seeking. And, and he just spent time praying. And he comes back in. I'm like, dude, where were you at? What's happening? I just want to say, hey, God kicked my tail. So much so that in that moment, there was immediate obedience. That's God working right there. That, that, that's a, a doer of the word and not just a hearer of the word. 
That's like this week I was talking to another friend and this other friend was, was just kind of sharing with me uh, just, just their life and what God was kind of doing and um, uh, this, this friend is, is a part of the, the women's ministry and goes to it and then just I guess uh, some of the sermons here lately what God's been stirring in their heart this, this person had been, had been watching soap operas for the majority of their life and they come to me this week and they say do you know what I've given up over the last few weeks? Those things soap operas the things that they say the way that they act the things that they push on you I mean, I was, a, I was a soap opera for life. But man, conviction from the word of God drew them so much so and broke their heart so much so that what it radically changed in action in their life. That's not just, that's not a hearer of the word, that's a doer of the word. That's what that is. I mean, that, 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 that just, that is what James is talking about. And, and my fear is that he doesn't see much of that. As he pins this letter to those people, he, he, he's got, there's got to be something going on that he's aware of. And I know inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I know those type of things, uh, but, but he's got to be aware of something as he pins this letter. And, he, and there's some things going on in the early church. And I know we like to romanticize and we like to make the early church just seem like they got it all together and they've got it going on, uh, but, the, but they don't. I mean, they're a train wreck just like us. I mean, they've got issues just like us. And it's obvious or James wouldn't be addressing these issues and these things in their life. And, and look at the illustration he gives next in, in 23. This is probably one that, that you've heard before or, or a verse that you're familiar with. He says, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and he goes away and at once what happens? He forgets what he was like. See, the thing that I find interesting is this, is that in the first century when this was written, mirrors isn't something like they are in our world today. People in this day were genuinely unaware of what they looked like. They were genuinely unaware of, of what their picture or their, their outline or, or, or the features of them, they were very much unaware of. See, because in this day, mirrors would be made out of metal, and when they did see their reflection in a mirror or something that was metallic like that, it would be very distorted. It wasn't something that would leave a lasting impression on them. And see, what James is saying is that's what you're like when you hear the word of God and you don't do what it says. You gather, you hear it, maybe get a little fuzzy feeling in your stomach from it, and then you think you're good and you walk out the door so only to go about your life and have no heart change, no desire for holiness, no more thought about what was said. That's what he's addressing. That's what he's talking about. I mean, the thought in our world that, that today that, that we wouldn't know what we look like is unheard of. I mean, that is crazy. I mean, I mean, not do we just have mirrors everywhere, we have devices everywhere, and are we not just posting? Like, like I'm going down the road the other day on Highway 9, and, and Highway 9 has gone crazy. And I'm going down the road, and we're at a stoplight, and we look over, and we see this little girl, me and Mayor, uh, we sit there, and we see this girl, and if you're ever one of these people, don't do this. We see this girl sitting there, and all of a sudden, she whips out her phone, and we're doing some dope lip. I mean, she's she driving down the road taking selfies. And like, I'm just doing this, and she is oblivious. Like, I want her to look over. Like, I so badly want to make fun of her for the love of the Lord and everything that's holy. I want to help her out, you know? 
I mean, but she, I mean, she, I mean, she is like, I mean, like different poses. I'm like, the light's not going to be red that long. And it turns green and what happens? Like, we, we, we blow by her because she's just sitting there. And then all of a sudden, like, like she realizes it's green and she, I mean, she takes off and it, 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 she is going like whatever. And she, I mean, she's still snapping photos of herself. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I mean, what, are you kidding me? And so it's crazy to think for a moment in, in, in our world when we read this that someone would look at themselves and not remember or not know what they look like because we can see ourselves everywhere. We post ourselves everywhere. I mean, I was, I was reading and looking last night and it said that people will look in the mirror between 16 to 23 times a day. 16 to, we care way too much about what we look like. But it got me thinking, is this, shouldn't this be what the word's like for us? Shouldn't this be what it's like in our life? I mean, we hear it and we want to hear more of it. We want to have it everywhere in our life. We want to have it constantly around us. We want to allow it to shape us and mold us. I mean, we have access to the Word of God, the, the Word of our Creator, anytime we want it. Anytime, 16 to 23 times a day, someone will look at themselves in a mirror. How many times a day do you pick up the Word and look at it? Let the Holy Spirit hit you with that one for a moment. Can you imagine what the church would look like if we picked up the word 16 to 23 times a day and looked at it? And allowed it to work us over and allowed it to change us and shape us. And more? You talking about the desire of your heart? I mean, are we not the most narcissistic culture that there's ever been? The culture that is most enamored by us? What we're doing, what we can do, how pretty, how nice and well put together, and how whatever else it is. Man, imagine what our life would look like 16 to 23 times a day. We would pick it up and we would read it. That's what it should be like for us. That's what James is trying to tell the people here. It should shape us and mold us because it's constantly around us. Don't hear it and then walk away. And so when James uses the word forgets here in this scripture, it means to purposely discard. He goes away and at once he forgets. He purposely just gets rid. It doesn't matter. It's not a big deal. And so what he's saying, that you're hearing the word, you're hearing the word, you're hearing the word. But what happens is you go away and you just get rid of it. It doesn't matter. Okay, this is a cool thing. We're in the south and this is what we do. Grandpappy went to church back in the day or, or, or mom makes or my gosh, I've got those friends and if I don't come, they're going to send me that text or, or oh gosh, I've got kids. If I don't, if I sleep in or if I do this or if I don't act like this, if I, uh, what, what are they going to think? And I want my, my kids to be good little uh, uh, hearers of the word and not doers of the word just like me. So we got to get there. And, and there's no action lived out. There's no desire for holiness lived out. There, there's none of that. And James is saying like, like this is crazy. And see, what this does is it points to a heart that's not been redeemed. If you're looking for external glorification, that's what you do. But we don't want external glorification. We want God glorification. Because see, this, is, this is something that doesn't please God when you live this way. When you think that you can gather for an hour on Sunday and hear His Word and not have it impact your life outside of that hour, then you are deceived into believing something that you're not. That's what James is addressing. And then he goes on to contrast this type of hearing and doing. Look at what he says in verse 25. He says, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, uh, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. 
for the one who does what he hears. And you're going to be blessed. And, and he's, he's meaning a deep-seated joy in Christ. I mean, if we would just have a hunger and a desire for the word, and it has to be more than just for 30 minutes on a Sunday morning. The psalmist says it like this. Psalm 1 says this. Blessed is the man or woman who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits at the seats of scoffers. But what he says, his delight is what? In the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates both day and night. And it goes on to say that he's like a tree planted by streams of water, that in everything that he does, he is blessed. Why? Because his delight is in the law of the Lord, is in the word of God, is in who Jesus is. James' point in this is to press people to check their heart, to make sure that they're not deceived. And that you're doing what you've heard. You don't just listen to it. Or, and walk away forgetting, but that you actually put it into practice and you do it. Verse 26, and then I love this, he goes, he goes on, he says, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but, deceive, but he deceives his heart. There it is again. This person's religion is what? Worthless. It's of junk. It, it matters not. And I know your thoughts are like, oh, that's good. Religion is like that. But no, there is good religion. And James is going to tell us what that is. It's religion that hears the word and does what it says. That's a good practice of religion. That's what he's talking about. And so he sees the way that they're speaking out of an angry heart and he is concerned so much so that they may not be Christians because there's no way a believer would act that way. There is no way a true believer would live that way. There is no way that someone who hears the God and it settles on the soul would react and live out that way. And then James ends with verse 27. He says this. He says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit the orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. That's true faith. That's true religion. See, that's evidence of someone who has heard the word and acts upon it and does it. That's what that is. And so as the band comes back up, I know that there's tension. Because the reality of this, in this room this morning, probably in the last week, couple of weeks, months, you've heard something that God's word has said and you haven't lived it out. And I just want to put you at ease for a moment because the reality is there's probably everybody in this room has been in that place over the last week, months. See, but what's different is this, is that in that, there'll come conviction and that conviction will land so much on our hearts, so much so that we act upon what we heard. Maybe not immediate, but God will convict us and draw us and we'll repent and we'll run to and we'll do our darndest with the help of the Holy Spirit to live it out. To do what His Word has said. To be obedient to His Word. And so my desire this morning is this, is not to try to convince you that you're not something that you are. And the other way, not to try to have you walk out of here with ease of heart thinking that you're something that you're really not. I'm not good enough to do that. I mean, I don't want to trick anybody into believing one way or the other as it pertains to that. I want, the, I want you to know in your heart because the Holy Spirit has, has revealed that to you. And He has shown you. And He's made you alive.
And a guy standing on the stage can't, can't, can't do that kind of a work. Only the God can, only, only God can do that. So, so by no means with this tension here this morning in the scriptures, knowing good mother, probably everybody in this room has blown it this week. No, I have. I know I've gotten short. I mean, I, I'll just share with you for a moment. So, so the, the key fob to my wife's vehicle, like when I drive it, I don't need all of her keys. Like she's, a, she's got keys upon keys upon keys. And that just weighs, weighs a brother down. You know what I'm saying? So I was going to drive her vehicle one day this weekend and, or this week, the end of the week or whatever it was. And I go looking for the key fob. My key fob for her car has nothing on it. Just the key fob. And so I go looking for it. And it was not where I always put it. So what does that let me know? She's used it. Had to. I'm like, all right, all right but where, where's, where's my key fob? Uh, I don't know. I don't use your key fob. And I was already kind of like irritated a little bit as it was. I said, you've used my key fob before. See, we're getting, it's escalating now. And we had somewhere to be, so it couldn't really get like good. I know I have used that key fob before, but I haven't in the last week. What did you do with that? I said, I put it in the bowl where it always goes. Apparently not this week. I said, yes, every week I do. I would not make that kind of a mistake. So we have to go, and I have to use her key fob. I'm way down. I have to tighten the belt and, like, like bungee cord it to my, like, let's do this thing. So we get, and we go. Doing some laundry last night. She comes over and she just places my key fob on the table. There you go. I know you took it. No, Scott, it was in the dryer. As I moved the clothes from the washer into the dryer, I heard a thud. Well, why would you put my key fob in the washer and dryer? And see, I, have to, I try to go funny to try to diffuse the situation a little bit, which doesn't help. And she, she just walks off. I'm like, yeah, don't, don't mess with my key fob anymore like that. She goes and does like, and she comes back, and I'm like, no, I said, babe, I'm, I'm sorry. I was, I was wrong. You were right. She said, in my good ear? You were wrong. I was wrong. You were right. I said, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's so, and, and I had a choice in that moment of, I was kind of like getting irritated at the beginning whenever it first happened I couldn't find it and then, and then now that, that I've I mean the, all the evidence is there and I am just like and there's still like sometimes part of me that just wants to fight for it you know not submit to that but in that moment I was like dude are you going to be are you going to be a husband that honors me or are you going to be you, do you want to be right in this or do you want to be holy man I'm just I, again just taken inventory of my life over the last months, years, and I'm just like, why, why get antsy and worked up and angry over this kind of, I mean, at the end of the day, why? And, and usually it's because I'm not in the word like I need to, I'm not, I'm, I'm hearing it, but I'm not living it out and doing it, because hear me, living it out and doing it, it's difficult, you have to just, you have to apologize to your wife for her stealing your key fob. So I say all that to say this. I'm not trying to convince you. We're all going to mess up and blow it and, and hear it sometimes and not do it. I'm talking about the, the natural characteristic of your life is to gather and hear it or even pick it up and read it and then do nothing with what you read. 
you want to know a good indicator of whether or not that's the case for you or not, what, what did you read yesterday morning in your quiet time? And can you tell me about that three hours later? Has it affected it, your desires and your actions so much so that you try to live it out two weeks after? That's what we're talking about, where there's this constant, I hear it, I hear it, but I'm not going to do, I do anything with it. And, 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 and I think it happens week in and week out. Like we hear it and we walk away. And by the time we get to our cars, we're so consumed and worried about what we're going to eat or what we got coming up next that, that we forget. That's what James is addressing. That's what he sees going on. And I believe it's a, it's a picture. And man, how God's word is so relevant and real, even in our day. I mean, this is written, most scholars believe, in 70 AD. We're 2021. Almost 2,000 years after the fact. And we're still, still fighting with this wrestling with this so I don't know where you're at this morning I don't know what God stirred in your heart as a result of his word but are you his are you born again are you saved if not that, that's where you need to start you need to look in and you need to ask that question do I belong to Jesus because hear me if you don't you will always hear the word and you'll never do it but if you do belong to him and you are hearing it and you're not doing it, then what, what's the hang-up? What's the issue? Is it because you're not, you're not loving it? You're not, you're not meditating on it? You're not having a desire for it to shape you and mold you and change you? Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. Don't just hear and not do. Beg for the Holy Spirit to stir up a desire and a longing for His Word whereby you get to know Him deeper and as you get to know Him and walk with Him all the more, it shapes and molds you to the point where you start, you start to act like, you start to talk like, you start to respond like. And James just isn't seeing it in this day and he calls him on it. So I don't know what God's stirred in your heart, but by all means, you do work as you see necessary. If you want to come pray, if you need somebody to talk to about more what it looks like to have a relationship with the Lord. Man, man, if you need somebody to talk to about, man, what, what does a quiet time look like? What does that mean? What, how do we do what Any of those things. And we would count it an honor to be able to walk with you through that. But you be obedient in this moment. If they're saying you repent and you run to, don't let it happen again this morning. Hear God's word and not let it take hold so much so in your heart that you live it out and do it. Father, help us this morning to be obedient. Jesus, we love you. We need you. Thank you for these tough words that's going to cause us to look inward. Help us be honest with ourselves this morning. And we pray.